Welcome to a very, very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Reinventing Life and Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP, the best-run SAP. You'll hear from innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform their businesses, stay relevant, meet the needs of their customers, and do the impossible every day. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, come on, you know you're in the right place. We always tell you that because this is where the best run. Let's see what the buzz today is. We have a very interesting topic for you. It impacts anybody listening around the world. It's it's as important as food. It's where do you live. So the buzz is a quote I found from a young man. I'm assuming he's a young man named Jacob Julian Nurnberger. He's an architect. Forgive my lawnmower outside. It's a landscaper day. Architect and urban thinker in Ahmedabab. And I found this quote on a website called whatsupgermany.de smart city quotes. Now I've given you the clue. Here's what he says. The smart city is a gift, a chance to transform old and slow systems and structures into a smart future. So there are a couple of key words in there. Smart city, yes, we're going to be talking about that. But the idea of transforming, how do we do it? What are the tools? Well, we're talking about technology, obviously. How smart will that future be? We're going to find out. So let me give you a few more facts before I have my three very esteemed panelists, all of whom have been on several of our Game Changer shows over the past few years, and they're going to weigh in on this topic. So Deloitte estimates that by the year 2025, and here's a hint, it's not that far away, five years is just on our doorstep, 4.7 billion people will live in urban areas. So how is this all happening? Technology. Technology is playing a key role in this global mass movement to cities and how cities prepare and can prepare and can think about preparing for this growth. What are they going to do with transportation? What are they going to do with government? What are they going to do with electricity? What are they going to do with other forms of power and education and buildings and residences and distribution of everything from energy to food? So let's talk about what is a smart city. You may say, oh, my city is smart. I have free Wi-Fi wherever I go. Well, maybe you do. I don't know if that makes your city smart. Do you have a state-of-the-art transportation management system? Maybe not quite yet. Is it something else? Is it all of the above? We'll talk about that. And if you're thinking smart cities, you might be aware of places like Mazdar City, M-A-S-D-A-R, in Abu Dhabi. You may have heard of Belmont in Arizona, and you may have heard of Neom, N-E-O-M, in Saudi Arabia. They have been proactive in becoming smart cities over many years and done it very well. Look them up. You'll find it interesting. So what's on the horizon for your city wherever you live? So welcome, welcome, welcome again. This is one of our newer series called Reinventing Life and Business with Game Changers Radio presented by SAP. And I'm still Bonnie, Game Changers. Here I am. So my three panelists today are Tom Raftery at SAP, Michael Rander at SAP, and Dante Ritchie at SAP. They're all specialists in some aspect of this topic, and I'm very honored that they're taking the time to join us. Michael Rander, you're up. Talk to us. Who are you, and what does this topic mean to you? Hey, Bonnie. Thanks a lot for having me on. Um, so my name is Michael Rander. Uh, I am a research director and lead analyst at SAP, uh, where we have a small group called the SAP Insights Research Center. Um, so what we do is really focusing on market research. Uh, we focus on developing facts and insights about uh, interesting topics that, that are happening in the environment around us, uh, one of which is uh, obviously the smart city. Um, 
So we tend to do a number of different things. We do uh, surveys, we'll do qualitative research, we'll do quantitative research, uh, and we'll develop topics around things such as the smart city. We did a study recently, a large study on um, the future of the customer experience. We've talked about digital transformations and so forth. So, um, So those are the things that we tend to do, and hopefully we develop stuff that is interesting to uh the people around us externally that we can have conversations about what really matters in terms of business, what's going to matter in the next year, but what's also going to matter in the next two, three, five years. Um, so that's what I typically tend to focus on. Very interesting, Michael. It's interesting you said that because in my Twitter post for announcing the show, I opened with wondering how future cities technology impacts your business. So I came up with that from a business perspective, and, and that's what you do. Just I know Tom is back. His line was dropped, and we'll get to you in just a second, Tom. Don't go away. Keep the hat on. <laughs> Keep your hat on, Tom. But, Michael, <laughs> my question is um, my opening said – is just having free Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi everywhere, a mark of a smart city. What's your opinion on that? How much deeper does it go, Michael? <laughs> it, it goes a lot deeper. Uh, it's obviously it, it's really about the way that we live our lives. I mean, the smart city is, uh, and we'll get into it, but it's it, it's about that we live our lives as citizens. It's about how companies operate. It's about how local government works uh, and. Getting all those things together is really what's going to make the difference. Thank you very much, Michael. Pleasure to have you back. Tom Raftery, we reconnected with you. Sorry about the line drop. It happens on live radio. Tom, please introduce yourself. Hi, Bonnie. Thanks for that. My name is Tom Raftery. I work for SAP. My uh, title in SAP is uh, Global VP, Futurist and Innovation Evangelist. And uh, what I typically do is I research trends that are happening in the world across different industries, and I predict forward where these trends are going to take us. So in terms of smart cities, let me ask you the same topic. How far deeper beyond just Wi-Fi and maybe uh, a cool new subway system or, I don't know, electric-powered buses or maybe autonomous trucks that do deliveries to major retailers? How much deeper than that does the concept of smart city go when, it, when we're talking about real cities? Tom, any thoughts on that? Sure, it goes, it goes really deep, but it also goes really broad. Uh, and this is where it's, it's a confusing topic and, and one which mm. is complicated uh, because it's not just transportation. It's not just power. It's not just healthcare, It's not just Wi-Fi. You know, it's, mm-hmm. I mean, it, you talk about Wi-Fi. We'll have to roll out a 5G, for example, across cities so that we can get autonomous vehicles able to move throughout the city. Uh, it, it's about access to social services. It's about moving people away from private uh, transportation to public transportation uh, that... Um, uh, Colombia, the mayor of Bogota had a great saying where he said a developed country is not one where rich people have cars, it's where poor people use public transport. And I think that sums it up beautifully. Wow. That, Tom, that was heavy. That was that was that was a very smart answer. Thank you. That makes you stop, doesn't it? How big are the cars, and how fancy are they, and what's the price tag, and who mortgaged their life to be able to afford the lease on a car versus the quality? You know, I I come from New York, and I lived on Long Island, Tom, and we we had a decent uh, transportation system, the Long Island Railroad. But when you went into Manhattan, a friend of mine does a lot of stand up comedy around the East Village, and he said he did a joke about I was walking at a very slow pace because I didn't feel well and I was faster than the Q4 bus getting cross town. So it's just, yeah, there's so much. 
We won't get into how smart New York is or isn't. I'm not there anymore, so we'll leave that alone. But, Tom, thank you so much. And I just can't stop talking about your hat. No it's in your PR picture. I just I started wearing hats again because <laughs> I'm, I'm a drummer now, Tom, and I have a purple hat. So you'll, you'll see my hat one of these days. Awesome. Dante Ritchie, welcome back. Dante, bring us up to date. What have you been up to? Well, you know, it's funny. I, I could put in a, a certain title of what I am at SAP, but I think what I really am for this call is an interested citizen, an interested Ooh. tourist who goes to lots of other cities, um, and also somebody who's interested in the community and our future communities. Um, I do just happen to be a specialist at SAP around smart cities, so I have worked on some research projects with Michael and uh, actually worked with Tom as, as well on different projects and the future of mobility and how we get around cities, understanding logistics and last mile logistics. But really what I think is most important for today when we're talking about um, the evolution of smart cities um, to add on to Tom's answer is the fact that we're moving into a cultural change in parallel with a technology change. So how are we evolving to, from more of a, what I would call science projects and sensor-type projects where they did unique, neat things? Um, but I think cities are starting to evolve and scale with privacy in mind and repeatability in mind. So that's the really interesting aspect of cities that I've been studying recently. Very, very interesting. I, I'm tweeting, Dante, I was so intrigued by what you said. Now on SAP, hashtag SAP Radio, talking about the evolution of smart cities in technology with Dante Ricci 1, quote, interested citizen and tourist. <laughs> and I'll put down <laughs> hat, wearing, hat wearing Tom Raftery and, and insightful Michael Rander. Give me, a, give me a moment while I do this while we're talking. So let's go around the table. If you're new to listening to our series, we're, we welcome you around the world. And uh, I want you to know that the format of the show is first my guests introduce themselves as they just did very eloquently and let us get to know who they are and what they do. And now they, I've asked them in advance to send me a quote that is not exactly on the topic, and they're going to relate the quote to the topic. So just want to whet your appetite to it, my listeners. We have a quote coming up from Elon Musk. We have one from Mahatma Gandhi and one from the Dalai Lama. So that's quite an interesting set of attributions. So Tom Raftery sent me the following quote from Elon Musk. If you don't know who Elon Musk is, well, look him up. But Elon Reeve Musk, FRS, born June 28, 1971. I call that a very young man. Is a tech entrepreneur, investor, and engineer. He holds... He holds citizenship in three countries. He's South African, he's Canadian, and U.S. Founder, CEO, and lead designer of SpaceX. Co-founder, CEO, and product architect of Tesla. You've all heard of Tesla. Co-founder of Neuralink. Founder of The Boring Company. Co-founder and chair of OpenAI. And co-founder of PayPal. Ranked 21st on the Forbes list of the world's most powerful people in 2016. And his net worth is a mere just under $20 billion. What can I tell you? Here's the quote Tom picked, and you're all going to love it. I would like to die on Mars just not on impact. Tom, how do you have a straight face talking about that quote? But go ahead and try. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. it. It talks to a sense of humor and a sense of adventure, uh, both of which are uh, missing a lot in business these days. It's, it's very rare now you find businesses with a sense of humor uh, and or a sense of adventure. And this is something that uh, Elon brings out very much in that quote. And you know he is a guy who has a sense of adventure when you see the kinds of things he has done. Starting a car company in America 
in the mid 2000s mm-hmm. and then start making that a, an electric car company. I mean, wow. And having it be successful against all odds, you know, the, the spirit of adventure the guy has is just unbelievable. He just, he doesn't, he, I, 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 I got to think he's the ultimate optimist who never thinks something is going to fail. And he just, pu- he just pushes and pushes and pushes so that it doesn't fail. And that kind of spirit is classic. And, you know, we need more of it. We certainly do. I, I love it. And the idea of every, you know, when I think about Elon Musk, Tom, I always wonder, what does he eat for breakfast? Does he eat anything for breakfast? Does he ever sleep? What is powering that mind, that brain? Michael Randy, you, you live in the world of insights and future visions. Can you even imagine how this guy wakes up in the morning and says, I think I'll start another company. I think I'll tilt at another industry. I think I will make inroads into something around the world that people never imagined could be changed, upgraded, whatever it is. Can any of you imagine what it's like to live that kind of a life where you're constantly on the move, changing the world? That's a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer it. Thank you. Tom, great quote. Love the quote. Michael Rander sent us a quote from Mahatma Gandhi. Thank you. And this is a very serious one. Mohandas Karamshan Gandhi, 1869-1948, Indian lawyer, anti-colonial nationalist and political ethicist, the honorific Mahatma, which in Sanskrit means high-souled and venerable, was first applied to him back in 1914 in South Africa, and we now use it all around the world when we refer to Mahatma Gandhi. Here's the quote. The future depends on what you do today. Michael, that's a very serious quote. Tell me how that relates to our Smart Cities topic. (laughs) Go ahead. Well, I I chose that quote for two reasons. So one is how it relates to me specifically because uh, I'm the kind of person who likes to, to plan things out. And if I have a goal, I sort of work my way backwards. What do I need to do in order to achieve that goal? Which doesn't always work so well with my wife, who is very different and would like to just go for things. Um, but um, the, the, the reason I thought it was interesting here is, is really... Um, whether we're talking about cities or uh, healthcare or the environment or the way we want the world to look for our kids when they grow up, um, it, it really all depends on what we do today, right? I mean, it's not something we can just have sort of lofty goals for and, and it, things will work out eventually. I mean, there are things that are just very serious, as you said, it's a serious quote, but there are serious issues we need to address and we need to address them today in order to achieve that future. And so that was really what I thought was relevant here. Thank you very much. Michael, you may not know this, but I started a new series here on Voice America Business Channel a couple months ago called Technology Revolution, The Future of Now. And it's all about what are we doing today that's making the future of now. Very, very interesting concept. So I really appreciate your quote right in line with the way I think. Dante Ritchie has sent us a quote from the Dalai Lama. Interesting how we arrived at this quote, Dante. It was a little bit of a collaboration, but I was glad to contribute some ideas to you. Dalai Lama, the 14th Dalai Lama. uh, I won't read you his full name, but it was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven names. Born simply as Lama Tondup. In 1935, uh, Dalai Lamas are important monks of the Gelug, G-E-L-U-G school, the newest school of Tibetan Buddhism, which was formerly headed by the Gandun Tripas. What's interesting about this man is he was selected as the 13th Dalai Lama in 1937, 
formally recognized as the 14th in 1939, and he took on full political duties in 1950 at the age of 15 after the People's Republic of China incorporated Tibet. A lot of history there. Here's the quote. Everybody listened up. It's serious, but it's very lyrical. People take different roads seeking fulfillment and happiness. Just because they're not on your road doesn't mean they've gotten lost. Dante, I love this quote. What about you? Yeah, no, I love it as well. I mean, it really depicts what cities are going through because uh, we're in a no-judging zone you know, when it comes to the future uh, of our society. We we don't want to judge others, uh, specifically cities uh, judging other cities and the path they take because every city has their own geographical constraints, if you will, their own mm-hmm. political identity and uh, challenges, their own demographics, their own economic situation, amount of resources, their fiscal characteristics, their cultural characteristics. They're all mingling to create a unique ba- blend. Uh, they, they have to work within that blend to become the city and the community of the future that they want to be. So I thought this was a perfect quote for that It absolutely that is. It- And let me ask you a question, Dante. The idea that because they're not on your road doesn't mean they've gotten lost. Doesn't that apply to arguments in city government? Yes, we should do this. No, we shouldn't. No, we want a road here. No, we want a road there. We shouldn't give free Wi-Fi. Yes, we should. It's time to overhaul this system. Isn't that applicable to taking a high road in terms of agreeing to disagree? Would you agree with that? It does. And it it also shows that uh, when you bring in different perspectives – that that road may change. So Mm -hmm. what you think is the right path may have to be adapted for the future. So I just love this quote. Really nice. I do too. You know what? We should have it printed up somewhere. I'm going to crochet it somewhere when I'm done with drumming and and, uh, painting and all the other things I'm doing. I'm going to crochet that somewhere and I'll send you all a picture. Maybe I'll just write it out in chocolate syrup in the sink and on the the counter and I'll send you a picture. (laughs) I love the quote. Thank you, gentlemen. We have a little segment now called Up Close and Personal. We're going to take about a minute for each of you and I have two questions that are kind of fun. Well, I think they're fun. Number one is where in the world are you calling from today or where do we call you, Mr. Raftery? And number two is what's your favorite beverage? What do you love to drink? It could be anything. And by the way, it may just be 2.21 p.m. here on the east coast of the U.S., but it's beer o'clock somewhere on the world. And cocktail hour, happy hour is probably well in swing halfway around somewhere. So don't worry about the nature of the drink. Tom Raftery, where are you and what do you love to drink? So I am in Seville in the south of Spain today. Uh, this is where I live Uh my accent is not a Spanish accent, obviously. I'm originally from Ireland, but I did move here in 2008. And uh, what do I like to drink? Well, being Irish, uh, you know, we don't have a culture of uh, wine, for example, because grapes don't grow in Ireland. Uh, but we have a good, strong tradition of growing barley, which is fantastic for whiskey, which I'm not a big fan of, or beer, which I am a big fan of. And it is 8.22 here in Spain right now. So I Mm -hmm. am drinking a lovely cold Cruz Campo, which is a local civilian beer. Cruz Campo. Is that C-R-U-Z-C-A-M-P-O? Cruz Campo? C-R-U-Z. C-A-M-P-O. One word. I have it. It's the beer of Andalusia, Andalusian Beers, Food, and Drinks. It's the biggest-selling beer in Spain and one of the top-selling brands in Europe based in Seville. It has been owned by Heineken since 1991. Do I have the right one? Yes? You do indeed. That's the one. 
There you go. I memorized that, by the way. I knew it by heart. It was founded in 1904 by Roberto <laughs> Osborne and somebody else. I know all this stuff off the top. If you believe that, I've got a beautiful bridge to sell you. So thank you very much, Tom, for joining us. Michael Rander, where in the world are you today, and what do you love to drink? <laughs> so uh, much like Tom, I, I moved around a little bit, as I'm originally from Denmark. Uh, you might hear that accent oh. come through. Uh, but I am calling in from San Diego, which I call home now. So uh, lovely sunny uh, San Diego, and uh, my drink is going to be a bit on on the boring side. I am trying to uh, to get into uh, the best shape of my life, uh, so I'm trying to keep it healthy. And uh, my drinks these days are mostly these orange uh, flavored sparkling waters, calorie calorie free and unsweetened. So um, I go through a few of those uh, each day. You brave soul, you. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to say that. That sounds like fun. I'm going to tell you all a different drink when it's my turn. So, Dante Ritchie, where are you today? And or where do you hail from, since we're talking about original countries? And what do you love to drink, Dante? Yeah, I hail from Northern Virginia, right outside of Washington, D.C. And uh, actually am in in and out of Washington, D.C. quite a bit, of course, in other cities around the globe. But the, the interesting thing here is uh, today I'm actually looking out at uh, kind of an environment where there is no city environment today. I'm actually more in the country, which is a little bit different for me. But, uh, you know, my favorite drink, uh, it, it changes in ter- <laughs> changes by the day. But I tell you, I love cappuccino with some cinnamon on top or even Ooh. some chocolate sprinkles on top. That's kind of my favorite go-to. Oh, do the chocolate sprinkles a nice smooth beer like Tom right now though. (laughs) Do the chocolate sprinkles melt on the melt on the top of the cappuccino, Dante? Yeah, I should say it's not really a sprinkle, but the uh, that little chocolate dust that they have. The dust, yes. Uh, That beautiful dust. Well, gentlemen, you all probably remember from your most recent visit with me on Game Changers Radio that I'm not allowed to have caffeine, anything like caffeine on radio show days. And this is my second live show today. Did two live shows an hour apart yesterday. And I usually am drinking just cool, clear water in a cool, clear mug. I was in New York on Long Island for 32 years after growing up near there. And I moved to Durham, North Carolina. So I'm I'm a little bit in the south now, Dante, getting used to 101 degrees almost every day for almost three months now now. Today it's cooled down. It was 65 degrees this morning. We're going up to a lovely 80 degrees this afternoon, but most days it's still getting up close to 100 on at least a car thermometer. So what I want to tell all of you that I I have uh, adopted something interesting. I grew up in an era in New York where there was something called UBET syrup, the letter U-BET, and the family that produced it was called Fox, F-O-X, Fox's UBET, a picture of a little girl in a circle, and I recently discovered that they carry it here in my local Harris Teeter, but it's expensive for chocolate syrup. So I discovered I can buy a gallon on Amazon, have it delivered, and I can take the 22-ounce bottle that I bought at the local Harris Teeter, and I can refill it from the gallon bottle. So that's what I've done. So I'm back to just a little bit of chocolate milk once in a while. And if you've ever had what's called an egg cream, which Tom Rafferty, it has no egg in it and has no cream in it. It's just soda water or seltzer (laughs) with a little bit of chocolate syrup, and it's fizzy and wonderful. You can put a little milk in it if you want, and ice cream sodas. You have to have UBET syrup. So I'm I'm back in the fold with UBET syrup. And I once interviewed for a local newspaper, uh, David Fox, who was the mayor of a local village in Great Neck, the village of uh, Great Neck Estates. And um, 
he was so grateful for my interview for the local paper when I was uh, working there as a reporter that he sent me a case of your bed syrup in the glass jars. Well, I looked at it and said, I'm going to die because what am I going to do with this much chocolate syrup? I have no self-control. So I gave away a bunch of jars, but I kept a few. So years later, here I am finding you bet in plastic, but it's still Wonderful. So that's what I am. That's where I am. And I'm happy to be talking with the three of you. Shout out to Michelle Hickey at SAP and Vivian Wong. Uh, helped put together this show on very short notice. And we're very appreciative. If you're just tuning in, this is Reinventing Life and Business with Game Changers Radio, presented, of course, by SAP. I've been doing Game Changers Radio. I invented it in 2011. And we have 43 series. If you want to know what's going on in the world of Game Changers Radio, go to Voice America. Dot com and look in the daily schedule and anytime you see a logo that's just a caricature a really fun character of a coffee cup that's a game changer show so we have topics that cover the range of absolutely everything this is reinventing life in business so we cover a broad range of topics i'm delighted to be here with three colleagues from sap wonderful panel they're all so smart and interesting tom raftery michael rander dante ritchie i'm going to give them a 90 second break because we're almost at the halfway point and when we come back we're going to do a deep dive into what's happening with technology in global urbanization, meaning what's going on with our future city. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. We'll be right back. Aaron out. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. In a world of digital disruption, the volume of data is endless. It's changing the way we live and work. What do you want to do with it? Get end-to-end visibility and transparency? Predictive insights? Drive operational excellence? Increase profits? Realize the digital promise today? Let's get started. Reinventing life and business with Game Changers brings you insights from the forward-thinking technology leaders who are making that happen. We'll delve into what it means to digitally transform your business from the top floor to the shop floor. We'll discuss how innovation is impacting every facet of life and business. Tune in to the Business Channel to hear today's top innovation and strategy thought leaders share expert insights on how intelligent technologies are shaping the future for all of us. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You're listening to Reinventing Life and Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Reinventing Life and Business with Game Changers. Yes, indeed. And I have three of the world's best game changers on the show with me. I'm allowed to say that because I'm the host. Tom Raftery at SAP, Michael Rander at SAP Insights, and Dante Ritchie at SAP. Also, talking about future cities and technology, global urbanization, what are cities going to do as we all flock to them? Will they be able to contain us, to nurture us, to help us have the best lives we have ever had? So we're going to kick off the roundtable with a couple of statements Tom Raftery told me before the show he wants to cover two areas let's see if we can do it in two and a half minutes tom number one let's talk about air quality in cities you say it is a huge factor in the quality of life how does technology come into this tom 
Sure. So on, on two fronts, it comes into it. Uh, first of all, we now have far better technology for detecting air quality issues. Uh, so the sensors we have now are uh, smaller, faster, better, etc., connected as well. In fact, <clears throat> last week I bought a personal air quality sensor, one that can, I can loop on my, on my belt and it connects to my phone through Bluetooth and it measures PM 2.5, PM 10, VOCs, uh, NO2, and it, it maps it to GPS. So no matter where I am in the world, I'm constantly measuring the air quality around me and, and publishing that as well. So that's, that's pretty cool. And a lot of the problems we have with air quality are to do with increased traffic. Uh, you know, a lot of the, the pollution comes from combustion engines driving around cities primarily, and that causes huge problems for the air quality. It also comes from uh, creating power, generating power plants, burning coal and things like that. But in cities, it's primarily traffic. Now, te technological solutions, one of the big technological solutions for that is the electrification of transportation. And that's starting to happen in earnest now. And we're starting to see the rise of more and more electric vehicles. And these, we're going to have a switch over to completely electric transportation for buses, for trucks, for cars by the end of the next decade. So that'll... That'll solve the air quality issues uh, for to a big extent in cities, but it'll also make a big dent in issues around noise quality, which is something we haven't touched on, but which is a big deal for cities. And it's something that'll make cities far more livable. Wow, that was a mouthful. You covered a lot. Thank you. Let's get Michael Rander to chime in. Michael, a lot of information from Tom Rafter. What would you like to talk about? Agree, disagree, or raise the bar? Go ahead, Michael. No, I, I, I do agree absolutely, and there are so many so many different points that you could touch on there, right? But I, I think um, we, we recently did a study where we were looking at this, and it was a, it was a study called Creating the Cities of the Future. One of the, um, the areas we looked into was the city of Chicago. So we were talking to some people who are in, in, in Chicago and working on this, and they have this thing called the Array of Things, or AOT, um, and, and basically they, they perceive it as sort of a... Um, a fitness tracker for the city. So, so what they're doing is that they're using sensors to gather data on light, and on air, and surface temperatures, vibration, uh, pressure, sound intensity, all these things, uh, using um, sensors and AI, basically. So, um, so they're looking at that. They're looking at pedestrian vehicle traffic and bringing all these things together. Um, as a way to look at how do they improve the city and uh, pursue sort of urban planning and their sustainability goals and, and also just the overall quality of life for, for the residents and communities. So really is an important piece. Uh, and uh, even though this is sort of first steps and, and first initiatives for some cities like Chicago to, to sort of move in that direction, really making it a big thing, it's, it's very important and something that's going to keep developing and it's going to be very important to to follow up on that technology and, and making sure that you have the capabilities to measure all these different pieces if you really want to have an impact. Fascinating. Thank you. Dante, join us. Thoughts on the bits and pieces of what we've been discussing here? Go ahead. Yes, Tom mentioned uh, air quality is really, really interesting. I think that he's right on target. There's nothing to argue about there. What I think is interesting, though, what he brought up is there's two aspects of technology here that allow us to move forward and, and understand why renewable energies or, smart, or electric cars and those type of digital uh, or intelligent technologies can help us is, one, you have citizens as sensors, 
for one. I mean, you have these, these, these devices that are measuring things, not only air quality, but uh, sensors to understand where potholes are in the road, sensors to understand if an earthquake has made a building unstable, uses of citizens at centers through their smart devices all over the world. And then the second aspect of that, when I, when I heard Tom's answer, was really around the uh, use of data as a resource. So we, we can become centers and understand individually or tactically how we might be able to help society, but when you start aggregating that, obviously in a private manner, uh, so you're not, you're not accessing uh, data that's going to release the privacy of individuals, but when you aggregate that more at a societal level, maybe at the city or a community, even a rural environment, then you have uh, some augmentation to what you're really, you're truly thinking and where your heart is and your intuition. And you combine that intuition with data-driven um, insights, if you will, and you really can make progress in society. Thank you very much. Good around the table. I just want to go back to one thing with you, Michael Rander, before I, I look at your notes you sent me. You're talking about the Array of Things. I looked it up, and I found a website called arrayofthings.github, github.io. And just let me read this. The Array of Things is a collaborative effort among leading scientists, universities, local government, and communities to collect real-time data on urban environment, infrastructure and activity for research and public use. And uh, Array of Things is actually, I'm going to put this in, it actually has its own handle on Twitter. Uh, is this something that's brand new, Michael? Is this something that we, we all should, I know about the IoT, but first time I've heard of AOT. How recently did this come <laughs> to be? No, they, they, they've been working on it for a while, so this is not brand new. Uh, it's been in the in the air for a couple of years, right? So they're they're working on expanding it and working on different types of sensors and and, uh, and bringing it all together. Um, so that goes for for most of the cities that we we spoke to. That again, they they're in sort of a it's not a startup phase, and at least in a beginning of where they'd like to go. They're they're really trying to push the envelope, but they have a long way to go still. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Thanks for. We love new terminology. We love to know what's going on in the world. So let's look at your notes here, Michael Rander, and let's see. Um, let's talk about the the definition of smart cities. And, and I want to reference back to to my whole panel. Reference back to my opening. I quoted a, a man named Jacob Julian Nuremberger, who calls himself an architect and urban thinker in Ahmedabad on the website that's whatsupgermany.de. And he said, let me re- repeat the quote, and I'm going to read one of your statements, Michael, and then we'll reference this. The smart city is a gift, a chance to transform old and slow systems and structures into a smart future. There's so much hope and forward motion in that quote, Michael. So let's look at one of your statements here, and maybe we can relate it together. You say in, in what you sent me before the show, we've talked about smart cities for a long time. But rather than truly smart cities, we're mostly seeing siloed smart initiatives in the city environment that may or may not affect slivers of our lives. Michael, this is almost poetry what you wrote here. Please explain it and if you could relate it to what I read from this architect about taking old cities and giving them not a facelift, not a body lift, but but a makeover with modern technology. So what's your point on this, please? So, so my point on this was really that um, we have been talking about smart cities for, I don't know, 10, 15 years, something like that, right? And it's been, it's been a big topic, and, but really what we've seen, our cities have 
they have taken on the responsibility of creating a smart city, or at least in their mind, creating a smart city. But they always started out with certain areas. So, okay, we've got to do this area over here where we're going to be better at improving customer service or improving traffic patterns or lights in the city or something like that. Um, so these sort of small-scale initiatives uh, have been ongoing, and, and they may have been good, and it may touch a certain amount of the population in the city, uh, but really it does not amount to a city being a smart city. It, it, um, mm-hmm. It's meaningful, and it's a start, uh, but they need to think bigger. And I think what we were seeing in, in our research was really that um, cities are starting to figure out that um, they are at a crossroads, basically, right? So uh, we we um, we did some research around the city of Boston, and and they were I think in 2017, they felt that they were at that crossroad where they needed to think about going beyond the siloed initiatives to achieve sort of a more substantial step towards becoming a city of the future. Um, so they created this thing called the Boston Smart City Playbook, which. Mm-hmm amongst a bunch of other things, outlines a challenge basically to, to tech companies, to scientists, to researchers, journalists, um, smart city activists, uh, whoever might be interested in this, uh, to propose ideas that would really engage uh, the constituents of Boston. So specifically what they were saying is that they were looking for things, um, they would be happy with things uh, if they could present a technology that would make the city departments work easier, but even happier if you're solving problems for the residents. So they were trying to engage a larger group outside of the city in order to bring them together and and really make a difference on a large scale for the city as opposed to these siloed initiatives. Fascinating. Let's get the opinion around the table. Thank you, Michael. Dante Ritchie, join us. Thoughts on what Michael said? Well, inclusiveness is key. I mean, He's right. You have to choose projects that are the most feasible, the mo- that can scale and, and uh, help citizens and solve issues, but protect their privacy, make sure that they're ethical, transparent, and explainable so you can maintain the trust of the citizens. But I love the way you can bring in different aspects of society to get the right answer uh, that could help in the long term and just improve our lives the way it needs to be. Thank you. Tom Raftery, thoughts, please? Sure, <clears throat> I think uh, I think what everyone's saying is is spot on. I would just uh, raise one slight flag, and that is that technology is changing the solutions landscapes for cities at an incredible rate, mm-hmm. and it's a rate that the uh, regulators are proving unable to keep up with. And I'll, I'll give you an example. I was in uh, Dublin earlier this year at an event speaking about transportation, and I presented about the electrification of transportation and how it was proceeding and how it was proceeding based on better technologies and reducing prices. In in other words, technologies reducing the prices of electrification and transportation. It now costs 20 cents per mile over the lifetime of a bus to drive a bus on electricity. It costs 75 cents per mile to to drive it on diesel. So that's a huge difference. Having presented all that, I then spoke to the purchaser of bus fleets for Dublin City who said, yeah, they've decided to go for hybrids. And I'm going, mm-hmm. no, 
And it's, it's because the battery prices are falling 20% year on year on year on year. When they make these decisions, it's typically an 18-month purchasing cycle. Mm-hmm. And they look at the spot price when they're making the decision, not the trends over time, which is a big, big issue. So technology is producing some great solutions, but we need to be better at communicating the way that it's going, the directions, the trends it's taking to the people who are making the regulations and the purchasing decisions. Tom, let me ask you a question. Big topic today is X data and O data. X is the experience data. Could that be interpreted as trends and O data is operational data? What are the facts, but what is the trend? And is that important in cities planning? As you said, an 18-month purchasing cycle, how do you see the trends, the visionaries, the future, the people looking forward and trying to glean where things should or would go? Is, is X and O at play here in these city trans, uh, transportation and technology decisions, Tom? Yeah, I think to an extent it is, but I think... While people are looking at operational data, uh, they they may, again, they may be looking at historical operational data, not predicting forward on where it's going. Uh, Mm -hmm. And as well as that, if you're looking at uh, X data, this is a a new area and not one that people are as used to looking at. But we know, uh, looking at, uh, just just looking at the environment around us, we know looking at the likes of Greta Thunberg, we know there's an increasing environmental awareness. We know that people love driving in clean, quiet buses. You know, we know they don't like stinky, noisy, bone-shaking buses uh, that are run on diesel. You know, these things are known, and there are any number of surveys that tell us that. Uh, But again, we're at the very early stages of combining X and O data, and when those are properly combined, we will see a big shift towards electrification transportation. But even, even, even if we don't take the X data, even just looking at the O data and looking mm-hmm. at the trends going forward in terms of just running the cost, the cost of running these buses, you know, yep. it, it's a no-brainer. Okay, thank you very much. Interesting comment there. Michael, anything you want to add before I move on? I have something picked out from Dante's list of topics. So, Michael, you want to wrap this one up? Do we have Michael Rander? Are we losing you, Michael? Definitely. Yeah, I am here. Um, So, yeah, I will definitely agree with Tom on on that. I think that, I mean, there are so many different uh, aspects that are affecting people's lives, which will um, sort of affect the way that we, we drive decisions around what the, the city of the future is going to be. Uh, so looking at X and O data, for sure, is is sort of a new field. Um, I would just highlight that sort of the whole customer experience uh, term that we're talking a lot about in, in marketing and the way that uh, companies go to market will also come into play for sort of how we design the future of the city, right? Because the customer experience or the citizen experience, if we want to coin that term, mm-hmm. is really uh, going to be important for the way that the local government um, sort of sets up their their uh, rules and the way that they operate with citizens in order to keep them engaged and keep them part of the process of building this future city. 
Thank you very much. Dante, we're going to cover a really another very important topic with you. You're talking about transparency in terms of how citizens' data will be used. I'm scrolling down to your notes here. You say there's some discussion about how we ensure transparency about how citizens' data would be collected and what it would be used for. And you add, this is important, there are security concerns, i.e., a bad actor taking over an autonomous car. We've already seen that stunt pulled with a reporter and a couple of years ago and infiltrating a city's critical infrastructure and health concerns. Of course, the effects of 5G high-frequency millimeters on humans. So, Dante, talk to me about who's collecting the data, what is the future city going to do with it, what, what is your vision, or what do you know about that? Yeah, this, this actually dovetails with what Tom and Michael said. If you get into, well, let's just take the buses in Dublin. The, the cost per mile is seven, uh, much cheaper than the diesel. But then you have to bring in the cost of the actual bus, bus which an electric bus is much more expensive than a gas bus that I've learned. Um, we're actually studying this in Fairfax County where I live now. Then you look at the uh, overall maintenance of the, a particular bus and then the overall long-term cost. Um, you combine that with experiential data, kids like uh, and adults like more silent buses, less creaky buses, and then you can come out with answers. But <clears throat> what you're just talking about is really around um, not only the transparency and and uh, making sure that the uh, citizens and the other stakeholders are aware of this procurement decision or this decision to move towards uh, buying buses, for instance but also understanding the risks involved. And so that's when we're talking about bad actors taking over for autonomous vehicles, for instance, or infiltrating a critical infrastructure to make a drawbridge go up or uh, lights go out in a tunnel. I mean, there's a lot of different aspects that everybody has to be aware of, and we have to be mm-hmm. transparent about each of those aspects on every slice of how this decision's made. And then additionally, what I need to bring into the conversation, which I'd love all three of you to talk to think about is, the uh, removal of bias, because if you're only including citizens that are digital citizens, people that are used to using technology, it's much easier for them to evolve, but then you're leaving behind maybe um, uh, other people that are not in that socioeconomic range or geriatric citizens. So I'd love to get the take of, of everybody about that aspect as well. Yep. Let's go around the table. We've got about four minutes till we go into our crystal ball predictions. So, Tom Raftery, why don't you please address what Dante's asking, and then Michael Rander, you can tee up for that, and then, Tom, I'll come back to you for your prediction. So go ahead, Tom. Sure. Uh, Dante raises a very good point, and it's one that I don't have an easy answer to. I don't think anyone does, or, you know, Dante wouldn't have raised it. Uh, and it's, it's the issue of... Uh, you know, getting getting a good data set. And that's particularly hard, particularly when there are a segment of people who are either not online not aw- or not willing to be online. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's not an easy uh, square to circle or circle to square or whatever we're saying. Um, I, I don't have a good answer to that, but it, but it is a really good question and one that we need to think long and hard about because the better the data that we put into our AIs, the better the outcomes, obviously. If we put less inclusive data in there, we get we get bad out, outputs. Okay, Michael Rander, join us. What do you think? Um, yeah, I'm not sure I have the, the golden answer for it either. But uh, one of the things I saw in the research that we did was in the Netherlands, and they they have a new law that requires that citizens are involved in, in urban development from the the early stages. 
Um, so they, they coined a concept there called duocracy, um, mm-hmm. which assumes that basically citizens reject standard solutions uh, for everything, right? And, and they want to engage uh, the citizens with the authorities to, to sort of think along what does this really mean for them. So if they're developing uh, new high-rise buildings or windmills or whatever, they're exploring ways that citizens can see what this will uh, look like and feel like. Um, so basically, they're, they're trying to use technology to, whether it be VR or other forms of technology, to showcase this to, uh, to the citizens. But they're not just doing it in a way where you need to have sort of internet access and be computer savvy in order to do it. They're also doing sort of surveys and in-person meetings and, and stuff like that, more traditional ways of collecting information and getting people involved. So they're trying to, to cover their cases in that way when they're talking about open development. So I thought at least that's, that's an, it, it's using old and new in order to, to get as many people involved in the process as possible. Thank you. Good points there. Let's go around the table. 60 seconds each. I know we can fit in some really good predictions. Tom, we're after a year up. What will change about the concept of smart cities, about the health concerns, the security concerns, autonomous cars, where people live, how we get educated, how we shop, how we get our power, how we communicate, how governments are run, whether 5G comes and damages our health or whether it doesn't. Anything or everything. 60 seconds, but I know you'll take 90 seconds. Tom Raftery, predictions, crystal ball, go. Sure. So you, you covered a lot there, and I can't cover half of that in, in the 60 to 90 second slot that I've got. But what I will say is if we look at the trends that have happened in the last five years and predict them forward as, as you follow those trend lines, and if I'm looking at trend lines, it's trend lines around particularly economics and the economics of things like renewables, the rise of renewables and the shift to storage and energy grids. Our energy grids will be 100% renewable in the next five to 10 years. Uh, Our transportation will be electric. So we were doing away immediately with lots of issues around air pollution and noise pollution. Uh, We'll shift as well to uh, autonomous flying taxis. Basically, we'll be able to sit in drones and have them take us places because the technology to do that is already there. It just needs to be scaled up and deployed at scale. The only thing that's missing for for autonomous flying taxis is the standards for vehicle-to-vehicle communications. And with the the rollout of 5G, that will happen. So we'll we'll be taking a lot of transportation out of 2D street-level space and into 3D space. And again, it will be electric Mm -hmm. and autonomous. So we're again doing away with the emissions factor. So those will lead to huge increases of quality of life for people because we'll do away with traffic congestion, we'll do away with air quality issues that we have to do, that we have today in large numbers in cities, and we'll do away, as, also, as I said also, with uh, noise pollution. Thank you very much. You covered a lot. I didn't expect you to cover all those points. I just thought I'd give you a menu to choose from. Thank you, Tom. Michael Rander, <laughs> 60 seconds. What's your prediction? What would you like to talk about? All right. I, I have three things I would uh, highlight. I think mm-hmm. uh, number one being we'll see a lot more of these coalitions um, which have see a local government, um, corporate entities, tech companies, and universities, as well as the citizens starting to come together in order to look at what, what the future means for the city. Uh, and it's a necessity in, in order to make it happen. Um, 
Number two being that uh, cities actually and companies in, in general have a lot of data and uh, that's already available. Uh, I mean, we're talking petabytes of data that, that's really out there and being collected in silos in various ways that is not always accessible. But getting that data up to the surface and making it actionable is, is going to be the other big thing because there's really a lot being collected already. And then the third thing, last thing I would highlight would really be um, uh, around data privacy uh, as we have all these sensors and cameras and all this stuff uh, that that makes up the smart city and, and what we will do in the future. Um, cities, but also uh, governments at a larger scale, need to really keep up with privacy and data use uh, laws and make sure that citizens are protected in the way they should be, uh, and I think there's a lot of stuff to, to do there still, um, especially as technology evolves. Thank you very much, Michael. Terrific. And Dante, I saved ooh, just about 75 seconds for you. Dante, go. All right. Uh, I believe, this is in the heart of my heart, that uh, the siloed organizations, the government itself, the utilities organizations, the transportation organizations, they'll decide that they're going to have to work with each other, whether it's going to be forced or voluntary, uh, because they have to bring the information together be able to share that information to get the 360-degree view of the experience of whether it's a, a tourist, a business, or a citizen, and then take that experiential and operational data so that you could really get a sense of uh, what uh, decisions can be augmented and how those decisions can be used for future planning and development. And they're going to create their own governance structure, and policy will follow, but they're going to have to create their own uh, governance structure sharing and privacy of that information. And then the security aspect of it is is key to make sure that uh, they're transparent in everything they're doing. Thank you very much, Dante. Thank you all, and a shout-out again to Michelle Hickey and Vivian Wong at SAP for putting together this wonderful panel. Shout-out to Aaron Keller, our engineer extraordinaire, at World Talk Radio, the business channel on voiceamerica.com. Here's my call to action. I've sure learned a lot, and I hope you have. We now have a much more robust and broader picture of what future cities Smart cities where the technology is coming in, what we as citizens can do, need to do, what we need to look out for, where we need to get involved. Lessons learned. So here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. Maybe you're waiting for a flying taxi. It could be coming to a corner near you or a drone could drop it on your front porch. Who knows? What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Tom Raftery at SAP, just like Michael Rander at SAP, and just like Dante Ritchie at SAP. Bonnie D. Graham saying thank you. Have a great one. Signing off. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Reinventing Life and Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP, the best-run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.